Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, welcome to those of you that might be joining us online as well as those of you that are here in the room today. Thanks for being with us. Next week is going to be a blast and uh, already excited for the message that I'll get to share next week. Um, it's gonna be a lot of fun. <laughs> today, not so much. Like Today's message is a little bit more on the serious side and uh, I think sometimes... You know, do you know that the gospel is good news, right? Let me, let, me give you a little, let me give you a little pop quiz. True or false? The story of Jesus Christ is good news. True or false? True. Sometimes before you get to the good news, you have to go through the bad news. And today, we're gonna take a look at another branch, if you will, of Jesus' family tree. Three more characters from the life of Jesus' lineage, his, his background, his family history, if you will. We call it a genealogy in scripture. This is, this is gonna be a little, little heavy for us today because there's some work we need to do as we work through the text and look at these three individuals. So let's jump in. Matthew chapter one, verse six. We're gonna look at three names in particular. Let me read these two verses. And Jesse, the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon. Remember, it's listing the kind of generations leading up to Jesus. So David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, and Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa. We're gonna look at three gentlemen in particular that are on this list, David, Solomon, and Rehoboam. This is kind of grandpa, father, and son, three generations, all kings, even though only David has a king name that's there. And we're gonna look at a, kind of a unique aspect of their story. A couple weeks ago, we talked about, if you, if you remember from being with us, we talked about how you can pass on a, a blessing from one generation to another. Do you remember that? We kind of looked at that. It was fascinating in the life of David was even after David has been dead for hundreds of years, God still says, because I had such a special relationship with David, I will bless his offspring. Generations after he has long passed from the scene, God is still blessing people because of the relationship he had with David. And it was a good thing because <laughs> if you've ever read those books, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you find out quickly how quickly David's offspring tries to lose that blessing. Like they do a lot of dumb stuff. You ever read those books? Like they just do a lot of things where you're like, it doesn't make any sense. And God is blessing them oftentimes in spite of themselves. When we read those stories, one of the things we see is it's almost like they work harder to lose the blessing than they do to keep it. So as we talk today, we're, we're gonna talk about having the blessing of God in our lives. What's interesting, we got these three names, right? So, so you've got David, Solomon, Rehoboam. What's interesting is the kingdom of Israel, what we sometimes call the United Kingdom of Israel, is at its height and at its peak during the reigns of David and Solomon, and yet, because of the way these three guys live, by the time you get to Rehoboam, just in this third generation, the kingdom itself splinters and falls apart. And there's some lessons we can learn here as we look at this, because all three of these kings are living in times of tremendous blessing. Isn't that our prayer? God, will you bless me? Will you bless my family? Will you bless my finances? We cry out to him and say, God, will you, will you bless me in some way? And when we're blessed, when we live in that blessing, 
we have to remember that we don't just live to gain it. We want to live in a way where we can sustain it. And what we'll see in these stories is this, that there are unique temptations in seasons of blessing that are dangerous to our lives. Now, these are things that show up in, in all kinds of parts of our lives. But when you're living in a place where you recognize God's blessing in your life, there will be temptations that will come your way. There will be parts of our character. There will be experiences that we have that if we're not careful, they put in jeopardy the very blessing of God in our lives. And this is what we see in the stories of these three kings that we'll look at today. However, the course of just these three generations, Israel's kingdom goes from its greatest heights to collapsing into a really divided, splintered mess. So what do you do? I wanna talk about sustaining the blessing of God in your life. We're gonna look at these three guys, David, Solomon, Rehoboam. When David encountered this dangerous temptation, he responds in a way that sustains the blessing. So we will look at David and we'll have a positive example of how to sustain God's blessing in our lives. When we get to Solomon and Rehoboam, we don't see the positive. Instead, they fail to sustain the blessing of God in their lives, and from them, kind of with a cautionary tale, we'll learn how we can, maybe what they could have done differently to sustain the blessing of God in our lives. We have to be vigilant, we have to watch for these things, we have to watch for these threats in our lives. So we're gonna talk today three things, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call them blessing sustainers. Three things that we can do to sustain the blessing of God in our lives. This, this passage is actually the, the, the passage of scripture we were supposed to look at last week, because we've had this kind of mapped out for a couple months now about how we would move through this part of the Gospel of Matthew. And then if you were with us last week, you know that things took a little bit of a different turn. And based on the conversations we had last week about transition and storms, some of what we'll say in these next few moments may seem a little ironic or it might even seem like it's targeted, and yet these scriptures were laid out for us to look at weeks and weeks ago, which tells me God knows what we need just when we need it, does he not? And I really do believe that this is a message for me, I believe it's a message for you, I believe it's a message for our church, and I wanna talk about how do you sustain the blessing of God in your life? Here's the first one. Blessing sustainer number one is repentance. Blessing sustainer number one is repentance. And for that, we're gonna look at the life of King David. Repentance will sustain the blessing that comes in our lives because we can often lose it to kind of a unique danger. Let, let's talk, and David had this going on in his life. You can have this in yours. We'll just call it the danger of unrepentant sin. That when we have sin at work in our lives that we do not deal with or address, we don't repent from, it has the, the power, the danger that it can cause the blessing in our lives to kind of disappear, fade away, to be lost in some way or another. Let me show you this. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse one. Here's, here's the story of David. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. We already have a problem here, don't we? Because it says in the spring when the kings go off to war, and yet what, what is David doing? He's sending out the army instead of leading them. It says that they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David, but, but David remained in Jerusalem. Kings should be going off to war, but David hung back in the city just to kind of chill. 
David should be with the soldiers. He should be leading the troops. This is a, this is a problem. That's where kings are supposed to be. But David instead said, nah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to hang at home. We don't know why. Like the scripture doesn't give us an exact reason of why this happened. Some, some people speculate that maybe David just got a little lazy. Or maybe David just really trusted Joab. He's like, Joab's got this. He doesn't need me. I'm, I'm going to sit back and rest. Maybe, maybe he'd even gotten a little privileged. <laughs> I'm the king. I don't have to go do this anymore. I'm just gonna hang. Or maybe David had an ulterior motive. Like maybe he was plotting or planning something that he could only do when everybody else was gone. I I don't know. Verse two kind of hints to that a little bit. We're not sure. We don't know. We just know this. When David wasn't in the right place, when he wasn't where he was supposed to be, he found himself susceptible to this temptation in his life. We read about it then in verse two, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse two. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, well, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And she came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness, and then she went back home. And we took time to kind of talk about those verses in a little more detail several weeks ago, so we won't do that now. But what we find here is this becomes the story of murder and the death of a child and eventually a prophet who has to come and confront David. And David, when he has this unrepentant sin in his life, hears the message from the prophet chooses to repent. He actually gives to us in Psalm 51 what he writes here, kind of a a, a textbook, a case study on what repentance should look like. We're, We're gonna take a few moments to look at it because what I've noticed throughout this day is it seems like when we start talking about repentance, all of us start looking inside a little bit. I think the Spirit sometimes shines a little flashlight on areas of our lives and says, maybe this is a place that you need to deal with. So what do you do? If if you need to repent, what does it look like? Well, David gives us a model, Psalm 51. It's interesting, not all the Psalms have like an introduction or a preface, this one does. It says, this is for the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So we know exactly when he wrote this. And here's what he says. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. If, if you have sin in your life, if there's something that you know that you need to make right with God, you need to ask for forgiveness, you need to change your ways, it starts with this, that you call out to your God. The, the first thing that you do is you call on your God and you recognize that in so many ways you've disappointed him, you failed him, that you need to ask for his forgiveness And you call on God and you say, God, have mercy on me. You know why you can do it? Because he has great compassion. Because he has unfailing love. He's waiting for you. He wants you. He knows the healing that comes when you call on him. And so we start by calling on our God. And then David says this, Psalm 51, verse two. He says, wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin." For I know my transgressions and my sins are always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're right in your verdict 
and justified when you judge. Once you call on your Lord, the, the second step that we see here is to confess your sins. First you call on your Lord, and then you wanna confess your sins. Not just say, ah, I made a mistake, or ah, I made a bad choice, or ah, well, you know, and start to rationalize it. At some point, you just gotta go, this is a sin. Like, God, I, I sinned against you. Like, I made a choice that pulled me away from your best for my life, God. And now I'm not just gonna try to call it by some other name, or make it sound cute, or make it seem like it wasn't what it was. There is healing power when we identify the things that we've done and we confess them, we talk to God about them, and we ask for his forgiveness. And look, I, I, I know that in a group this size, in this room, you're watching on a screen somewhere, there's these moments where we just gotta stop and say, God, I need to confess my sins. Because it may have been a time when you felt like you were justified in being angry, but you didn't have to be that angry. Like, like it went to a place where you weren't just angry, you were angry and you sinned. Or that jealousy has been having more and more control in your life. Or you know you've been saying words that roll off your tongue, but they're not pleasing to God. They might be funny or feel good, they don't glorify the one who made you. It's when you go back for that look at things online that leads you to lust. Or when you nurse that grudge that you've been holding on to for a long time. When it's convenient to tell that lie to cover something up. Or you know that that attitude's not a good attitude and you could work at fixing it, but it's actually kind of fun. Or you choose to let fear come in Instead of trusting God in faith, James says if you know the good that you should do and you don't do it to that person, that's sin. And at some point, I just have to call those things out in my life. It's healthy for us to call those things out in our lives because I believe this. Tell me if you believe this. Do you believe that the gospel is good news? But good news starts with bad news. And the bad news is I've sinned. You've sinned. There's no hiding it according to what Paul says in the book of Romans. And if that's the case, then I have to identify the bad news so that then I can receive the good news. Here's, here's what's funny about this is uh, when we talk about this, oftentimes, my experience talking to people is, is you've probably had something from your past or maybe from last night <laughs> that crops up in your mind and you recognize that that's your thing right now, like the thing that brings you some shame or some disappointment or regret. And what happens is if we're not careful, when those feelings start to come in, we let the enemy leverage that for condemnation in our lives. And doesn't scripture say there's no condemnation? Like those feelings that you're having, they're not to destroy your walk with God or to make you think that you're irredeemable, they're conviction. And conviction is to help you to see that God is working something in your life to bring freedom and to bring forgiveness. What scripture says, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So we start there. And in those moments when you identify those things, you begin by calling on your God and you confess your sins. And then let's, let's skip a few verses. I hope you'll go back and read Psalm 51 for yourself. Here's what uh, David says in verse 10. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. It sounds like he's had a change, hasn't he? Because he, he not only recognizes what he did, he sees what he needs to do. And there's a change that has come to his life. That's what repentance is. Re repentance, kind of the, the meaning of the word is when you recognize I was going in this direction and it was pulling me away from God, so I need to stop, I need to turn around, I need to go in a different direction. And instead of moving away from what God has for me, I need to move to what God has for me. That's repentance. And if you're going to repent, you not only call on God and confess your sin, but at some point you commit to your change. And you say, God, I, I'm not gonna just say I'm sorry. I'm gonna say it's going to be different. It doesn't mean you don't stumble again. It doesn't mean that, that you become um, perfect all of a sudden. But you say, God, I am moving in that direction, not that one anymore. And there's a change that comes to my life. And that's when God can begin to do a work in our hearts. Why am I sharing this? Because if you're looking at the bad news, it, you need to know it before you can get to the good news. And for some of us, my hope is that, that maybe even before this day's out, you're gonna let the Holy Spirit really speak to you a little bit more, to nudge you a little bit to see. Psalmist even says that there are some things in our lives that are hidden sins. We don't even realize that they're there until we let the Holy Spirit show us. Things that we've, we've reasoned enough to say, well, it's not that big of a deal, or it doesn't really matter, nobody really cares. When actually it's, it's devastating to you. And there's some place in your life where you need to stop long enough and say, God, something is not right here. And I confess this. And in your mercy, I ask for your help to change my ways. Rhonda and I live in a home that was built over 100 years ago, and uh, it's got all kinds of really cool character and just, just you know, it's, it's a neat, neat kind of place to live. But it was also built over 100 years ago, so it's filled with lots of surprises. Because over 100 years, we have no idea what these people did. And uh, it, they've added different things to the house over time and changed these different things and moved stuff. And so anytime we do any kind of work, it's kind of like, oh, we didn't see that coming, you know, kind of thing. And so not long after we moved there, I was down in the basement and I went, well, there's, there's moisture coming in there. And I was trying to figure out what was going on, and it's, it's, too, it's too much to explain. I'll show you a picture, because it's a really weird spot in this brick wall. If you were there, it would make sense, all this kind of thing. But all of a sudden, there's moisture coming out. I was like, that's not right. And so I start messing with it and kind of moving around, and I, I pull out some debris. And one of the really cool features of our home is in the basement. There's a hole in the wall. And if you stick your finger in that hole far enough, you, you, there, you can feel the dirt outside of the house, which you're not supposed to do. Like that's not, it's not a, it's not, we didn't, that wasn't on like the realtor.com as a feature, right? And I'm like, well, that's not good. We gotta do something about this. And so, you know, I talked to somebody about drainage. We had to look into how do we seal it? How do we plug it in? We had some professionals come in and look. I had to do a bunch of work. We had to spend money. It's taken time. It's kind of been a work in progress. I mean, I could, I could tell you every detail, but you don't have time for the whole story. <laughs> Do you get it? See what I did there? The whole story. Did you get that? That was funny, that was funny. Thank you very much. Um, but here's the deal. I had to look at that and go, that's not right, we gotta fix it. Why did it take 100 years for somebody to do that? Like apparently the, the last folks just kinda ignored it 
And it's been something that's just kind of been disregarded. It'll be all right. It'll work out. But if somebody doesn't deal with that, you're going to continue to have that problem, and the problem's only going to get worse. And at some point, it took time, it took effort, it took some commitment to say, there's an issue here. I can't let it keep going like this. Somebody's got to fix this. And for some of you, the Spirit's whispering to your heart right now and saying, it's time. That thing, no more. Stop going that direction. And start moving towards me. Because there's blessing that God wants to pour out in your life. But he can't if that barrier is still there. So if you want to sustain God's blessing, here's the, here's the first one. Number one is repentance. Let me take you to a second one. Number two, this is blessing sustainer number two. And it's wisdom. Blessing sustainer number two is what we'll call wisdom. So that was David. We're gonna jump from David and we're gonna move to Solomon, his son. And Solomon becomes the king after David. And if you're familiar with King Solomon, oftentimes what we say from a human standpoint is that Solomon was the, anybody, he was the wisest person who ever lived. We tout him as the wisest person who ever lived. The funny part about Solomon's story is that the wisest person who ever lived wasn't all that wise sometimes. In fact, by the end of his life, he's doing things that are just, they're just foolish. And he had left wisdom behind. Why? Because if David had to wrestle with the danger of unrepentant sin, for Solomon, it was just the danger of pride. And he, what he did was he walked away from wisdom. And there's this really interesting part of the story here where we see where the wisest man who ever lived wasn't all that wise. This is in 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11, we read this. Now, King Solomon, however, isn't however an interesting word? Because he was supposed to do this. However, he chose, you're supposed to go over here. However, you, like however shows this contrast between what, what should be or what could be and what really is happening. It says that King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Mosquitoites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. That's clear, isn't it? God says, oh, I know that little mosquito bite honey's a cutie, but stay away from her because she'll turn your heart and I'm sure there was a point, in fact, you read the book of Proverbs, you can't help but see where Solomon at one point in his life probably would have said, that's God's word, that's true, steer clear. Nevertheless, that's like however, isn't it? I was gonna do this, however, this is the right thing. Nevertheless, I'm the king. Solomon held fast to them in love. God, I know that's your word. It is good for a lot of people. But my, my situation's a little different, God, because I'm the king. I mean, I'm expected to have all these relationships with other countries, and I, I've got to exercise my power, and I want the world to know the greatness that you've given to me. And so, God, I know, I know this is the way that it should be. However, God, I'm going, God, I know that you want it to look like this, but nevertheless, and he keeps having these conversations with himself where even when he knows what God would have in store for him, he talks himself out of the thing that is wise, and he ends up, look at this, he ends up looking like a fool. First Kings chapter 11, verse nine, the Lord became angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him 
Twice. Listen to this. This dude saw God two times. Now look, if I asked you, have you ever seen God? I'm going to guess the vast majority of us. I never, I've never seen God. Most of you, I'm going to guess, have never seen God. Now maybe you've had a vision or a dream or something like that. But has God ever like showed up for you? He probably hasn't showed up for you once. He does it for Solomon twice. And yet, nevertheless, however, although it tells us God had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. God had appeared to him twice. He was the wisest man who ever lived. No one in scripture arguably had more blessing in their lives than Solomon. And yet, he misses out on a truth that's in a book he wrote. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Not how smart you are, but when you recognize how great God is, it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The wisest man who ever lived became a fool because he thought he knew better. We stop being wise when we think we know better. Think about that for just a minute. We stop being wise when we think we know better. Years and years and years ago, I remember I was sitting in my office with a guy, and he started saying to me, you know, I, I know how I'm living is not really what God would have for me. Like, I, I know it's not what God's word says. I know it's not really what God wants, but you gotta understand my situation. Like, this is, this is kind of just the way it is, and, and I, it's just, this, this is just the best for me right now. And I, I know someday, someday when things change, I, I'm gonna start doing things right. When things are a little bit different, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get things right with God and I'm gonna, I'm gonna live in a certain way. And I, but right now, I mean, you, you can't argue with me. He says, right now, it just makes sense for me to live like this. Now, I'm, I'm for the most part a pretty caring shepherd. Wouldn't you agree? Help my ego. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, yeah, see, thank you. I told you. And... Um, but, this, I, but I can be snarky. Me and the snark came out of me. And I remember him going, you know, I, I know I should change. I know things should be different. But right now, this just, this just seems to make more sense. I remember I leaned in and I said to him, well, man, that's really cool. Especially, especially since you know so much better than God does. A little later that day, he called me. And he goes, thanks. I needed that. <laughs> because sometimes we just need to be reminded that even though it makes sense in our heads, you and I don't know better than God. And, and when we start living as if the commands of God's word are just suggestions, isn't that what we do sometimes? God gives us commands and we start acting like they're just suggestions. When we start living as if the commands of God are just suggestions, we've put ourselves in a very dangerous place. I mean, this is exactly what Solomon does, right? He, he starts to compartmentalize his life because I'm sure he recognized his role as the king and his blessings from God and the things that God had called him to do. And yet, he had this little compartment over here. It actually grew to be quite a big compartment where he kept, let's just call them his idols because anything you put before God is an idol, right? So he had the idol of his relationships and he had the idol of his riches and he had the idol of his idols, because he started giving his worship and attention to something other than what God had in store for him. And even though his life looked great on the outside, he had compartmentalized, let's not just say him, we have all compartmentalized some part of our lives. That when we're honest with ourselves, we realize, God, you're welcome to it all, but just stay out of there. Lord, because that, that part right there, 
I've got that covered, thanks God. But I, I think I know better. And that is not wisdom. That is foolishness. We'll spend a lot more time on this um, story from Jesus when we get to it later in the Gospel of Matthew. But look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven about the person who has wisdom. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. Jesus told a powerful story for people because they could, they could probably picture it. You, you could too. Because like if you're taking a look at these two houses, it may be that they look exactly the same. They might have even been built by the same builder. It could have been the same craftsman. You could look at these two exquisite pieces of architecture and go, look at those houses. They're, they're beautiful and they're, they're identical and they look great. But the ones, the ones up here on the rock and the ones down here on the sand and you kind of just look at them and you're, you're comparing them and they look the same. They both look great. They, they both look like they're masterpieces or whatever. In fact, you kind of look at them and you go, well, that one's cool up on the rock because it's got, it's got a great view. But, but that one's beachfront property down there. That's awesome. Except when the winds blew and the floods came, the, the, the one part of that house that was different, the, the foundation that they kind of skimmed over, the one place where the builder said, well, I know we probably should have a better foundation, but I know better, I want a beachfront view. That was the thing, that, that, that one part of that beautiful house is what caused its destruction. And the same thing can be true in our lives. When we build out those little compartments and we fail to let the spirit in, it's the same place where we can miss out, where we can, we can block God's blessing in our lives. What I want for you is not just to have God's blessing. I want you to sustain God's blessing. So that's why we're talking about blessing sustainers. And it may be time that you need to consider some of these things and sift out some of the things in your life that don't need to be there. It starts with repentance. I think it moves forward with wisdom. And then let me give you the, the last one. We'll look at this one real quick. Blessing sustainer number three. This one takes a little bit of a turn. Blessing sustainer number three is humility. Blessing sustainer number three is humility. We know the story of King David. We're pretty familiar with the story of Solomon. We don't talk about Rehoboam that much. He's, he's the son of Solomon, he becomes the king when Solomon dies and the people come to him, some, some of the folks in the kingdom come to him and say, um, King Rehoboam, we're glad you're our king now, but your dad was really hard on us. Like he taxed us and worked us and he, he built an amazing kingdom, but um, Rehoboam, he was really hard on us and we kinda need a break. And we think that if you want the kingdom to move forward, if you want the hearts of the people to be turned towards you, if you, if you want to get your, your reign off to a good start, maybe lighten up a little bit because your dad was more tough than he needed to be. And where the kingdom is right now, safe and secure, you have the privilege of winning the hearts of the people before you move forward with other things. So maybe just, can you take a little break on us? Thanks. And he just kind of looked at him and said, well, that's an interesting request. How about this? Give me a couple days to think about this. You come back in a few days, and I'll have an answer. Fair enough. 
So he had a Zoom meeting with all the elders there in the kingdom. And he said to the, to the wise elders, the leaders, this was the request that came my way. What do you think? And they were like, wow, big R. That's kind of a good idea. Like your dad was really tough on us. And we're in a really solid place. So maybe if you'd show a little grace to the people, maybe extend compassion, because they don't really know you, that would kind of give them a glimpse into your heart and who you are. We really think it would be, it was good advice. They were like, hey, this would be helpful to get your kingdom moving forward. And he said, all right, thanks for your time. And then he called his buddies over, guys that he'd come up with. And he said, fellas, what do you think? And they're like, well, what's the advice? And they're, like, they're telling me I should probably soften up a little bit. And his buddy said, who do they think they are? Are you're the king. You can do whatever you want. Don't you listen to them? And they gave him advice, and he actually he took it. And this is what we read, is that if, if, if David fell into the, the danger of unrepentant sin, and if Solomon had the danger of, of pride in his life, Rehoboam had the danger of power, and when it came to him, it was nasty, and it was ugly. First Kings chapter 12, verse 13, the king answered the people harshly. He, he answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. What a sweet kid, isn't he? And he comes down tough on these people and it will cost him everything. Because what we see here is a lack of humility. We see kind of a quest for power. And when God entrusts us with blessing, and instead we lift ourselves up, we're on a surefire course to lose that blessing. I wanna show you just a couple of things real quick, two, two things really, that can happen if we're not careful when we have blessing without humility and maybe some signs of that. Let me point out something kind of interesting to you first though. You know, sometimes when you, you, maybe you read a book or you hear somebody talk about leaders or successful people and the things that bring them down and they often talk about sex, money, and power. You ever heard those things? The fear of sex, money, and power. This is, this is really interesting. It was sex that brought David down. It was sex and money that affected Solomon, and it was power that did Rehoboam in. So if you ever doubt the ability of money, sex, and power to destroy a life, you haven't been paying attention to the story of these three guys. Because one of the things that we see is that Rehoboam ignores advice that's in the book that his dad wrote in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 15, verse one says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Do you remember how he answered the people? He answered them harshly. He spoke a harsh word. And here's what's interesting. A harsh answer is often a sign of a lack of humility. Like if you, if you speak to someone or you see someone who speaks in a harsh way, oftentimes beyond personality, beyond, beyond kind of, you're just your natural tone. If you have that harsh tendency, oftentimes it's a sign of a lack of humility. And this is what we see in this dude's life. Let me give you an example. Often, I know a lot of you, I'm just kind of looking around the room. You're sweet and you're kind and you're, you're gracious people until you get a call from a telemarketer. Am I right? Or when you, you get on a customer service call that goes for 90 minutes, does anybody know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, your tone of voice is not the same one that I hear in the atrium on Sundays. And sometimes rightfully so. 
Because you can get frustrated, you can get upset. Sometimes it seems like if you don't get a little bit forceful, nothing happens. Isn't that true? But then you go, but did I have to say it like that? Because oftentimes when harsh speech comes out of our mouths, it's a sign that we think we are better than someone else, that we're superior to them, and that somehow because we're here and they're there, that harsh tone allows us to speak down on them and feel better about ourselves, and a harsh answer is, is a sign of a lack of humility. Here's one other just interesting side note. I'll show you one, one more sign of a lack of humility, but, but the interesting side note on this one is that that harsh words are are often easiest to do with those that we're the closest to, true? And when that begins to happen, it's a good time for a checkup. Here's another one too, that when you're rejecting good advice, that's often a sign of a lack of humility. If good advice comes your way, wisdom comes your way, but you're not open to it, maybe it's because of the source and who it comes from, or maybe it's because it's just not what you want. Like you can even know that it's good, know that it's wise, or know that it's something maybe you should at least ponder, but you're quick to go, no, I don't, I don't wanna do that, I don't wanna do that, and you reject that. Oftentimes that's a sign of a lack of humility because you think you know better, remember that? And that's what we see in Rehoboam's life, and oftentimes we need to just kind of step back and say, if I'm, if I'm living like that, I'm setting myself up for failure. What do you mean, Chad? First Kings chapter 12, verse six, here's the end of the story, 16. When all Israel saw that the king Rehoboam refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? David is code there for, for the kingdom of David, his offspring. What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. And so the Israelites went home. When Rehoboam became king, he ruled over all 12 of the tribes of Israel. And by the time he's done with his harsh conversation, only the tribe of Judah is left. The other 11 have taken off what used to be called a, a united kingdom. It has nothing to do with Britain. This is the, the ancient united kingdom of Israel is now splintered and all he has is the kingdom of Judah. And he has watched everything his father and grandfather built just be splintered in front of him all because he had a lack of humility. Can I tell you a lack of humility is the doorway through which division enters. And I've seen it in homes and I've seen it in marriages, and I've seen it in schools, and I've seen it in work, and I've seen it in friendships, and I've seen it in churches, that so many times the way that the enemy brings division into our lives starts with a lack of humility on our part. And many times we just, we need to be open to saying, God, I've gotta humble myself, and maybe have a conversation, God, with you or someone else, where I'm willing to say, in humility, something's gotta change. Jesus, will you help me? I emphasize that again, Jesus, will you help me? Because you know what's wild about this whole deal when we get to Matthew chapter one where there's a list of these names and one branch of the tree takes you down, David and Solomon and Rehoboam, it's all three of those guys are pointing to Jesus. The whole point of their names here is because ultimately Jesus comes to save us from these very things that we talk about. So if you're wrestling with humility, Jesus is the model for us of what it means to be humble. And if you're wrestling with having wisdom in your life, surrendering your life to Jesus gives that opportunity for him to rule and reign in your life. And if you need that forgiveness that comes from repentance, well, it only comes because of the sacrifice of Jesus, right? So I stress all of this because my hope is that at some point, before this week's over, 
you're gonna hear the voice of the Spirit challenge you and say, show some humility in this situation because that's when I can bless you. And at some point before this week's over, you're gonna identify a, a portion of your life that you've compartmentalized off and you're gonna say, no wisdom says, God, it's all yours. And at some point, rather than it being a barrier to block the blessing of God in your life, hopefully before this day's over, you'll say, God, forgive me of my sins and help me to turn the other way. I hope that you'll let the Spirit sift things out in your heart so that what's left is just something beautiful. A little over a year ago, May of 2021, about 10 miles off the coast of Sri Lanka, there was a container ship called the MV Express Pearl that caught on fire. Inside it had all kinds of chemical solutions and manufacturing materials, a lot of hazardous things. And when that ship caught on fire, they couldn't get it to stop. And eventually it burned to the point that it sank into the ocean 10 miles off the coast of the, the, the capital of Sri Lanka, and it, it was beautiful beaches. And, and part of what was in that ship were 75 billion, not with a M, but with a B, 75 billion nurdles. Do you know what a nurdle is? I didn't either, so I had to look it up. N nurdles are these little kind of lentil-sized pellets, little pieces of plastic, and everything that we have that's plastic, almost everything starts with nurdles. So they're like the, the little materials that they take and then they melt them down and so your water bottles or your Tupperware or whatever actually starts with these little, the, the, the raw material that they start with when the plastic is kind of manufactured, these nurdles, and then it goes to sources and they melt them and they shape them and they do whatever and that's how you get all your plastic stuff. Starts with nurdles. You're smarter now. You are welcome. 75 billion white nurdles were on this ship. And when the ship sank, they went out into the ocean. And when they went out into the ocean, they made their way to the beautiful beaches of Sri Lanka. To the point that at one time they said that you couldn't walk out on the beach without being in nurdles up to your waist. And they had to uh, bring in heavy equipment when the accident first happened and they had to, they had to move these, these nurdles out of the way. The problem was there's 75 billion of them. And so you can move them off the beach but they're still out in the water. And there's gonna be a constant flow of the tides coming in and out and moving them in and out that both bring more nurdles in and then actually cover them up with more sand and they're being buried in the process and then taken out and then brought back. This has been going on for over a year and every day about nine o'clock until about three o'clock there's a group of people who go out on the beach and they have some machinery. Most of them have, have sieves and they shovel the sand into these sieves and they sift out the sand and they capture the nurdles because they can be toxic to the environment, they can be very damaging to animals and they not only pollute the beach, but they just make it nasty. It's not the beautiful beach that they had. And they said, look, this is our beautiful beach and the, the tide keeps bringing more and more of these things in and we don't want it to be like this. So they go out there every day and they, they sift out from the sand these nurdles because they know if we don't, they're gonna destroy this beautiful thing that we have. These nurdles will rob us of our blessing if we don't find a way to clean this up and sustain what we have. It's because of that same concept that David says this 
Psalm 139, he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Some of us need to sift out the nurdles of sin and pride and power in our lives so that God can sustain his blessing in each one of us. Will you bow your heads with me for a moment? And just ask that the Spirit would speak to your heart. And I'm gonna pray David's prayer from Psalm 139. And where it's necessary, I'm asking God to help you sift out those things that could keep you from knowing his blessing in your life. So Lord, would you search us? And would you know our hearts? Even the compartments that we've tried to keep from you the idols that we set up for ourselves. Lord, would you search us? And when you show us those things, Father, help us to repent. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. God, would you see if there's anything in us that is offensive to you? If it is, would you show us? We don't want that, God. Would you show us places where we need humility in our lives? Would you show us places where we've been living like a fool? God, would you give us the wisdom and the courage and the work of your spirit to repent, to change direction, and to move towards you? God, lead us in a way that's everlasting. Holy Spirit, thanks for the way you speak to our hearts. Lord, thanks for the times when you show us what needs to change because it's only in the changing that we can sustain the blessing. Fathers, we go from here. Would you bless us? Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. We are going to have a blast next week, 10 o'clock. Make sure you join us for Summerfest. Come on out for Summer Blast. We're going to do all kinds of summer stuff this week. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.